Savvy Mainline, the podcast. Brought to you by Home Cooked in Paoli. Simplifying meals for mainline families for 14 years. Visit homecooked.net. I'm Caroline O'Halloran. It's November 2020, and a local family is sharing its COVID-19 nightmare, hoping to help others. There's no way I'm getting this virus, thought Andy Phillips as he set off on a run near his Chester Springs home. He felt lousy that late March day, but at age 53, he was in great shape, eating right and exercising like mad. I mean, the guy ran five days a week. You know, if you lined up like 10 10 of our friend's husbands, he was like the healthiest. Like it just made no sense. That's Trish McDonough Phillips, Andy's wife. Try as he might though, Andy Phillips couldn't outrun COVID-19. He got the virus. So did his son. So did his father. And instead of celebrating 25 years of marriage with a mass at the Villanova Chapel this November, Trish is planning funerals, celebrations of lives extraordinarily well-lived, two of them. Telling her family's story is hard for Trish. It's so emotional, she says. But hoping to warn others, she shared it with People magazine last summer and will appear on 60 Minutes in early December. A few weeks ago, she spoke with Savvy. According to Trish, no one knows for sure how Andy, a wonderfully warm and outgoing sports nut, sales executive, husband, and father, contracted the virus. But shortly after returning from a California business trip in late March, he started showing symptoms. At around the same time, his oldest son Colin, an Episcopal Academy alum and sophomore at St. Joe's, began feeling ill too. Quarantining together, the whole house was soon sick. Grace, then a senior at Dartmouth, Aiden and Andrew, both students at Malvern Prep, and Trish herself, a stay-at-home mom who did floral design on the side. Coincidentally, all are A+, a blood type linked to COVID-19. But only Andy and Colin were hit hard and admitted to the ICU at Chester County Hospital. Colin had double pneumonia with COVID-19 markings, and Andy, previously sent home after a negative pneumonia test in the ER because COVID tests were scarce in March, returned in acute respiratory failure three days later, racked by high fever, cough, and overwhelming fatigue. With a pulse ox of 55, he was put on a ventilator that night. Trish had to drop him at the door, Only patients could enter hospitals during the virus lockdown. Please don't tell Trish about the ventilator until the morning, Andy begged his nurses. Ever considered, he worried that she'd have a bad night's sleep. Colin was discharged from the ICU after a few days and spent most of the summer recuperating at home. It was a slow slog. The senior captain of EA's basketball team the year before, he could barely make it up the stairs. His father, though, stayed on a vent and by April 2nd was in kidney failure and put on dialysis. Trish tried to get him transferred to a downtown hospital, but doctors said he was too sick to move. For his entire 35-day stay at Chester County Hospital, Trish and the kids never saw Andy. COVID patients couldn't have visitors. After 24 fever-free hours on Easter, he took a turn for the worse. His lungs had stiffened. When an ICU doctor told Trish there was nothing more they could do and her husband wasn't going to make it, she got on the phone, frantic, trying to place him somewhere with more advanced therapeutics. 
specifically a hospital with ECMO, extracorporeal life support for his failing lungs. He was helicoptered to the cardiac ICU at the hospital at the University of Pennsylvania and was started on ECMO the Tuesday after Easter. Around this time, Andy's father, a hale 86-year-old who just moved to the independent living wing at Riddle Village with his wife, contracted COVID too. Donald Phillips had reached down to retrieve a ping-pong ball and broke his hip. He caught the virus in a rehab hospital after surgery and died a few days later on April 28th. Meanwhile, back at Hup, his son was in the fight of his life. Actually, the second fight. 20 years ago, Andy had overcome stage 3 Hodgkin's lymphoma under the care of mainline health oncologist Sandra Schnall, who became a family friend. There was some scarring of his lungs, but he never had a recurrence, and his heart was strong. So from the start, Penn doctors were hopeful. They figured Andy would stay on ECMO and a ventilator for a few days, and then they'd bring him out of the coma. Everybody, it seemed, was pulling for him. Nurses, both at CCH and HUP, would hold a phone up to Andy's ear as the family at home played his favorite country music or a video loop of his kids' voices. We'd do anything to stimulate him while he was in a coma, Trish recalls. Penn Medicine intensivist Dr. Joe Savino would FaceTime with Trish almost nightly, anxious to get to know Andy through his wife. Savino and staff made sure family photos were hung around the room. We had more things attached to his bed than you can imagine. Holy water, rosaries, Trish recalls. Doctors and nurses did anything they could to help because we couldn't be with him. Trish's sister, Meredith McBride, started writing regular updates on Andy's Facebook page, and hundreds of people, many of them strangers, started following his journey. Round-the-clock virtual prayer vigils were organized. Friends arranged for Eagles coach Doug Peterson, quarterback Carson Wentz, the country music duo Florida Georgia Line, and Villanova coach Jay Wright to send video greetings to Andy, a diehard fan of all. Even Sly Stallone delivered a video on May 23rd, Andy's 53rd birthday, calling him a Philadelphia fighter. Anticipating a possible double lung transplant and years of long-term care for Andy, close friends started a GoFundMe to help with expenses. Trish wasn't thinking that far ahead, but they were. To date, more than $160,000 has been raised, which Trish calls a godsend. The supportive phone calls, meals, messages, and videos were amazing, Trish recalls. You're in your own bubble, she says. And when you hear and see all that, you just don't give up hope. Convinced Andy needed to hear Trish's voice and feel her presence, Dr. Savino pushed for HUP officials to allow her to visit. On May 5th, Trish walked the eerily empty halls of HUP, the first person allowed to visit a loved one since the COVID crisis began. From that day forward, she'd drive down to Penn, find parking, and spend her allotted hour holding Andy's hand. Knowing medications would affect his short-term memory, she'd tell him where he was, update him on the kids, and assure him he was safe and getting better, never mentioning his father's death. She usually stayed the full allowable hour, sometimes more, sometimes a little less, because it was so excruciating, she says. By Mother's Day, doctors had started lightening Andy's sedation. Back home after her daily visit, Trish received a phone call from a nurse 
Andy had opened his eyes. She rushed back. When Andy heard her voice, he started crying. In the next few weeks, he would try to mouth words and sometimes responded to questions by moving his eyes. Andy was the first COVID patient at Penn to receive convalescent plasma. Physicians had high hopes it would help him turn the corner. They started planning the surgery he'd need to switch his ECMO catheter, allowing them to lighten his sedation and eventually wean him off ECMO. But on Friday, May 29th, an infection threw him into sepsis and a cytokine storm engulfed him. You'd better bring your kids in, doctors told Trish. For the first time in 63 days, his two younger children saw their father. His newly widowed mother, Joan, came too, and his sister, Donna. Trish's family was there, and his best friend. Leading bedside prayers was Reverend Don Riley, the priest who'd married Andy and Trish at Villanova, baptized their children, and now was head of school at their son's school, Malvern Prep. And that night, like a miracle, Andy rallied. On Saturday, he was stable and his vitals were improving. They were just trying to figure out the right antibiotics for his sepsis, Trish recalls. But that night, he took another horrific turn, and by Sunday morning, Trish knew she had to get back to the hospital. She made a quick stop to pray at the Padre Pio Shrine north of Pottstown. She'd been praying there all along, and then drove to West Philly. Andy's medical team told her it was time to let him go. The family reassembled at his bedside. The machines were silenced, and Andy passed that night. I never, ever gave up hope, Trish recalls. I really believed that he was going to be his same old self. It didn't occur to me that if he did make it, what his life would have been like, how sick he might have been. If he had a double lung transplant, what would that have looked like? That's how I got through it. I think about this now, and I wonder, what was I thinking? I'd walk in there smiling and asking, how's he doing? Do they think I was nuts? When her father-in-law lost his battle with COVID, she became even more certain that Andy would win his. Surely her children couldn't lose their father and their grandfather. Her mother-in-law couldn't bury her husband and then, four weeks later, her son. But here's what Trish has learned about the virus that attacked three generations of Phillipses. It doesn't care. It doesn't play fair. She says she has friends who, quote, still think it was just crazy that it happened to us and it's not going to happen to them. But it can touch anybody. That's something people still don't quite understand. Although she knows she probably shouldn't because it's so depressing, she says, Trish finds herself scanning a private Facebook page for COVID-19 survivors. The stories, particularly those of people, many with no history of illness, put on ECMO, are heartbreaking. It's not just older people, she says. There are so many kids in their teens and 20s that are really struggling. Remembering her late father-in-law, she's also upset that, quote, a lot of the talk about nursing homes and senior citizens puts a spin on it that their lives aren't as important, and that's not fair. She's convinced the crisis didn't have to unfold this way. Quote, turning it into a political issue has completely changed everybody's grasp and understanding of the science behind it. If the country could have come together and had some type of plan from the beginning, we wouldn't have this terrible confusion that we're having right now about masks or no masks, about how it's spread and how serious it really is, Trish says. 
President Trump's handling of his own illness rankles Trish and her kids. His comments were so unbelievably hurtful, she says. The treatment he received, riding around outside the hospital, telling people we can't let the virus dominate our lives. Well, it did dominate our lives. It completely destroyed our lives. In a social media post, Andy and Trisha's daughter, Grace, urges people to stop making jokes about COVID and to stop saying, I wish things could just go back to normal. Instead, Grace Phillips asks us to put ourselves in the shoes of 210,000 American families, try to feel the pain others have every day reading how their leader is treating the thing that dominated their lives, support the health heroes who are doing everything they can to limit fear and save lives, and most importantly, she writes, express gratitude for your own life and the lives of those around you. Sometimes Trish wonders about the timing, about why Don and Andy got sick so early in the pandemic before better treatments were available. I guess I truly believe this was just how it was supposed to be. I can't explain that. She'd rather focus on how Andy has helped others. His physicians at Penn served on an international coronavirus panel. Each week, they'd tell doctors in Italy and France about what was working for Andy and what wasn't. Andy was teaching physicians around the world about the disease. I wish he knew how many lives he touched and changed, his wife says. Trish often thinks Andy may have known something that she didn't. When he was diagnosed with cancer, Trish was pregnant with their second child, and doctors told him he might never father another. But Andy always wanted more kids. A few years later, they had Aiden, and two years after that, Andrew. I remember Andy saying, If anything ever happens to me, I want you to be surrounded by children. I think deep inside him, he was worried about the future, Trish says. After his cancer fight, he took nothing for granted. She says he lived a happy, grateful life. That's why he exercised so hard, why he worked so hard to provide for us. He knew how lucky he was to have beaten cancer. Five months after Andy's death, Trish still texts with his physicians. I saw their unbelievable dedication to their patients, their compassion, how they don't want to give up. They took time to get to know me and the kids. I actually miss all of them. I actually miss being there. I know it's a tie to Andy and he was there so long. There are some things I just can't explain. Andy just touched people. As winter approaches, Trish contemplates life without her husband. At age 49, she feels young to be alone. Her worries are many. Will insurance cover her unfathomably high hospital bills? How will she support the family? When can she finally hold safe memorial services for Andy and for Don? As the virus spreads, could her kids catch it again in school? For now, even though talking to the media is way out of Trisha's comfort zone, she steals herself to share Andy's story, her family's cautionary tale. It helps keep Andy with her, it helps the world remember him, and it might help keep someone else alive. Let's see. Maya, Mix, Avenue Kitchen, Main and Vine, and now La Scala's Fire. 
five restaurants in 13 years in the same Villanova Center spot. Here's hoping number five sticks around a while. Early signs are promising. La Scala's fires up tasty fare, portions are ample, and everything is made in-house, the sauces, the breads, and the dressings. It's like Nana's South Philly kitchen, teleported to the middle of the main line. Prices aren't a tough swallow either. The menu is play-it-safe Italian, but executed with aplomb. The tried-and-trues are all here. Chicken parm for $18, Caesar salad for $9, and margarita pizza for $13. Plus, there's trendier fare like a crispy artichoke app, truffle fries, and beet salad. The menu is mammoth. 21 apps, 10 salads, 22 entrees, 15 wood-fired pizzas, and 8 panini stromboli. We visited twice, lapped up what we could, and took the rest home. Our faves? The meatball trio, the Brussels sprouts, La Scala chopped salad, the gnocchi, and the wild mushroom truffle pizza. The kitchen is free-flowing, which means food arrives at your table subito, as soon as it's made. While the ravioli may remind you of grandmoms, the decor certainly won't. With a sea of white with black iron fixtures and earthen accents, the vibe is more restoration hardware than East Passionk. The owner is industry veteran Rob Lascala, who tells us he's had a hand in 25 restaurants and pizzerias in Philly and South Jersey. Villanova is the third Lascala's fire, his newest concept. The place opened quietly earlier this fall. Lascala says he likes to fly his new places under the radar until the staff finds its footing. Does the pandemic scare him? Oh, not at all. Once you come here, you're coming back, Lascala says. Guy's got cojones, that's for sure. Our COVID safety score, A. Outdoor tables with heaters, indoor tables are widely spaced, and ceilings are high. La Scala's Fire is in the Villanova Center, and it's open daily for indoor and outdoor dining and pickup. Passing for White in Wayne. Anna Marie Jones was living the suburban dream happily married to a Rothman orthopedic surgeon, raising three kids in Radnor schools, and active in her church and community. Life here was good. The fact that her late father was black and her mother is a first-generation white Sicilian-American just wasn't that big a deal. Light-skinned, Anna Marie had always been white-passing. She didn't hide her biracial heritage. She just didn't broadcast it. Well, not anymore. Broadcasting it actually podcasting it, is precisely what she's doing. She's joined hands with Philly-based author, actor, and journalist Darylise Lyons, who's also biracial and multi-ethnic, to create the Demystifying Diversity podcast. The point? To shine an empathetic light on the many faces of otherness, including her own. We sat down with Anna Marie to ask her about passing for white on the main line and why she's become so vocal about race. Growing up in New Jersey, Anna Marie George didn't pay much attention to her African-American side. It was just easier to live in my whiteness, she says. It was all about wanting to be accepted. Her brother, who looked more ethnic, was more vocal about being biracial and got flack for it, she recalls. Anna Marie was following her late father's lead. Don't make waves, 
Ernest James George would say. Although in his youth, George had made plenty. He had marched with Martin Luther King Jr. and was trained in nonviolent resistance. One lesson? Spit on one another to learn how to be non-reactive. Notably, his cousin, Sammy Young, was shot and killed for using a white bathroom in 1966 and was mentioned by name in the speech King's grandson gave during the 2020 March on Washington. Anna Marie's father was proud of his civil rights work, but when he moved to New Jersey from the segregated South, he just wanted to blend. I think he was tired, she says. He wanted life to be easy for me and for my brother. We didn't grow up in our home really discussing race. Instead, Anna Marie's father channeled his activism into a life of service, first with the U.S. Army, then as a teacher, then as a restaurant owner. In poverty-challenged Long Branch, New Jersey, George subsidized hot meals for local kids and co-founded a Ronald McDonald House. The town's Community Service Award still bears his name. Anna Marie traces the roots of her own racial awakening to her time as a middle school teacher, when she challenged her students to explore the stereotyping and hate that led to the Holocaust. She only became fully awake, she says, after she married hand surgeon and Jefferson Med School professor Chris Jones, a white Anglo-Saxon Protestant heteronormative male who couldn't be more supportive of the DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion work I'm doing. The Joneses settled in Wayne, where her comfortable life, over time, became increasingly uncomfortable. As a light-skinned woman, I experience zero racism toward me, Anna Marie says. Instead, she has experienced it indirectly, when friends and acquaintances have made unthinking, racially-tinged comments about others in her presence, often passed off as jokes. There's the country club's token black, Wouldn't it be funny if all black people went to a white party dressing in white? The person making the comments always assumes everyone in the room is cool with it because we all look alike, she says. At first, Anna Marie would stay silent, wanting to fit in. I was forced to swallow my feelings in the moment. It's really difficult. Even in her own home, at dinner parties she hosted, guests have said hurtful things. The microaggressions, comments, jokes, and innuendos really cut deep over time, she says. Eventually, they boiled over. Anna Marie started standing up and speaking out, sometimes perhaps too passionately. I'm looked at as a rabble-rouser because I'm not afraid to rock the boat. I've lost many friends because of it. When you've been forced to swallow things for so long, you come out feeling very powerful, and sometimes it can be too much. She's working to find a happy medium when she confronts people, she says, and hopes to start constructive dialogue rather than shame. Still, she says she feels compelled to say my piece in order to feel at peace. In the last few years, Anna Marie's words have blossomed into action, a TV show and now a podcast. Passion and fire fuel activism, she says. For me, That passion comes from knowing that I have the same blood coursing through my veins as ancestral slaves and activists. Many years after slavery ended, members of my own beautiful, talented, intelligent family were not afforded the same housing, education, and job opportunities as whites because of hundreds of years later they were still deemed inferior. She says being around people in my own town 
who don't care about that is heartbreaking. That's what I think we need to change. Anna Marie's racial justice work began four years ago when she sponsored a 17-year-old Congolese orphan refugee, Samuel, helping him settle into life with her church's rector, Joseph Smith, the rector of St. Mary's in Wayne, and graduate from Radnor High School. Samuel's journey moved her so much, she decided to write a book about it. As luck would have it, she asked author Darylise Lyons to be her writing coach. Anna Marie recalls asking Dara, Are you biracial? I am too, and I know you can't tell. With that, the two became fast friends. It's rare to meet someone who's biracial who also self-identifies that way, says Dara. The tendency is to identify as one race or another, so to meet someone who embraces all elements of themselves was special. I felt we really hit it off on that level. First, Anna Marie asked Darylise to be a guest on Community Voices, her mainline network public access TV show that spotlights good works. The two discussed I'm Mixed, a children's book that Dara had written under the pseudonym Maggie Williams. The book about Samuel was tabled. They'd create a podcast first. In preparation for its September launch, they interviewed 128 people. On the main line, they spoke to immigrants who'd struggled to fit in. Ecuadorian-born yoga teacher Veronica Fitzgerald and Han Bui, a Bryn Mawr periodontist from Vietnam. They talked to Radnor Police Chief Chris Flanagan about racial equity and de-escalation training. Farther afield, they interviewed Holocaust survivors, Muslims, the incarcerated, members of the LGBTQ community, Dara herself is sexually fluid, and people who'd experienced body size discrimination. They asked their own moms to open up about raising biracial kids. They talked racial justice advocacy with Penn professor and equity advocate Howard Stevenson, whose brother had just written Just Mercy. And for the very last episode, Dara interviewed Anna Marie and Chris Jones about their mixed marriage. In the transcript, Chris says his life with a biracial woman, quote, really opened my eyes to white male privilege. Anna Marie talks about how much she appreciates that my husband embraces my biraciality and loves spending time with my New Orleans family. He's always open to learning about others. A year ago, Dara and Anna Marie joked that they'd be happy if the Demystifying Diversity podcast had 100 listeners. In today's climate, even amid competing issues like the pandemic and economic insecurity, it has thousands. And while she believes the mainline is waking up to these issues and applauds the June protests along Lancaster Avenue, what Anna Marie says she really hopes is that we all develop stick to The fight to dismantle systemic racism and create equity for all is a marathon and will take more than one walk down the main line. The Demystifying Diversity podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. Lola's Garden, a transformative project for Suburban Square. 
We're loving the look and sound of Lola's Garden, the indoor-outdoor restaurant and lounge slated to open in Suburban Square Courtyard in April. Indoors, Lola's has signed for the old Kate Spade and Jack Wills spaces. Outside, it's putting 120 seats under a trellised patio opposite Sephora. Look for all-season greenhouse-like spaces, heated and covered. Operator will be FCM Hospitality, the proprietor of Philly's Morgan's Pier, Parks on Tap, Juno, Rosie's Taco Bar, and others. Lola's menu will blend the casual eats of Morgan's Pier with the local and seasonally inspired plates served at Harper's Garden. Also on tap, local craft beers, an all-PA wine list, handcrafted and batch cocktails. Count on an eclectic garden vibe with upcycled natural materials and found objects in the vein, perhaps, of terrain. Leading the design himself will be FCM's owner and mainline native, Avram Hornick, who was raised in a kosher home in Marion Station. Why Lola? Is Hornick uh, a Barry Manilow fan? Not exactly. We used to spend summers going to the shows at the Man Music Center, Hornick tells Savvy. One of the first shows I remember seeing was The Kinks. Their song, Lola, always reminds me of those summers. Hornick says he's pumped for the square's new energy and exciting changes, including the new rail station and apartments. In his 20s, he'd hoped to put a small coffee kiosk in the precise spot where Lola's will bloom. 30 years later, he's back and dreaming big. After five years, signs of life in the old parlor St. James space in Suburban Square. A third Dan Dan, an upscale Chinese restaurant, will open in the spring, owner Kat Huang tells Savvy. Huang and her husband Kevin chose Ardmore because so many of their Wayne customers were driving in from Ardmore. Another lure? The square's new garage and 15-minute parking for pickup orders in the courtyard. Dan Dan has thrived during covid Our food travels well, and so many new people found us, Huang says. But while volume is up, delivery services like Caviar and DoorDash have cut into profits, she says. The Wangs, who live in Devon, are from Taiwan, but met as college students at St. Joe's. Details of the new restaurant are TBA, but Huang does offer hints. A slightly more upscale vibe with booths and a private dining room, possibly sheathed in glass in the Skylit Center. This and that. Only in 2020, a store named for a deadly virus is welcoming shoppers at the King of Prussia Mall. On the upper level next to Tommy Bahama, COVID-19 sells PPE, sanitizers, gift packages, and fashionable statement masks. Delco is decriminalizing pot under an ordinance just passed by the All-Democratic County Council. Possessing small amounts of marijuana is a health violation that carries a $50 fine. Hundreds of residents, most of whom supported the change, flooded a public hearing this fall. Spread Bagelry is up and running in downtown Wayne in the former From the Boot space in the Suburban Building. Yum. Spread has been spreading love for its Montreal-style bagels, which are flatter, chewier, and less caloric, at Bryn Mawr Village for about a year now. Renovations are complete, and the historic Lock Airy Mansion is now a smashing event venue in Malvern. They've even added a new ballroom to the circa 1865 property, 
John Sirock is the exclusive caterer. Forget about biking on the boards in Margate anytime soon. Voters have overwhelmingly nixed a feasibility study for a new boardwalk to occupy the no-man's land between the dunes and the bulkhead. Margate hasn't had a boardwalk since the old one washed away in a 1944 hurricane. And finally, itty-bitty Narberth is leading the way again. The borough that was first to ban single-use plastics now has a mask mandate. Anyone over age two spotted maskless in the town's business district or parks gets a $15 fine under a new ordinance. Thanks for listening to Savvy Mainline, the podcast. Brought to you by Home Cooked and Paoli. Easy, affordable, homemade meals for pickup and delivery. I'm Savvy founder Caroline O'Halloran, and we'll catch you next time.